Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Ace of Spada podcast hosted by your boy right here, Anthony Spada. On today's episode, I am joined by Sal Stefano from Mind Pump Radio. We discuss a lot of things on mindset, life, fitness, whole bunch of topics. But before we get into that, I got a few announcements to make. First, I have opened a few spots on my online coaching program. Um, the link is down below in the show notes. If you want to join, all you got to do is click on that, fill out your name, email, phone number, and I will get in contact within the next 48 hours. If you want to learn how to truly become an ace in that deck of cards known as life, weekly accountability, workouts, nutrition, everything is fully customized for you. And I will help develop your mindset along with that. And you will be able to dominate life. And one more quick announcement is if you haven't listened to the past few episodes, I've joined up with Morphogen Nutrition. Um, they are a company, third party tested ingredients, patented ingredients. They have the best of the best products in the market. So if you guys are interested in some supplements, I highly recommend Morphocom, um, one of the best supplements in the game. So. Link is down below to their website. You can use code SPADA for 10% off. Other than that, I got nothing more to say here. I want you guys to get inside. So let's welcome on Sal Stefano. Yeah, the first one, the first one of the Mind Pump series went an hour and 40 minutes. So starting early, I was actually pretty happy with just because in my time, it ended at like almost eight o'clock at night. So oh <laughs> where are you right now? Where are you located? Uh, Pennsylvania. I live about oh, okay. uh, 15 minutes outside of Philadelphia. You guys all yeah. shut down out there too? Yep. Literally hunker down. Not We're probably in the worst area just to the international airport in Philly. So... Oh most cases out there or whatever yeah we we got the the brunt of pa cases so we're not moving for a while (laughs) unfortunately i'm glad to see you're healthy yeah thank god i'm healthy that's like the best part about this haven't haven't been interacting with people walking up and down my driveway to get my steps in (laughs) (laughs) um so kind of do you want me to take you through like some of the topics i have ready for you um, no, I mean, if you want, I'm, I, I'm, I'm good to go whenever you are. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I already started recording, so oh, we're good to go. Um, right. So everybody, uh, Sal Stefano coming on the podcast today. Uh, this is part two of the Mind Pump series. I got Justin coming on in a few weeks to record. As you already have noticed, I released an uh, episode with Adam already a few weeks ago. So it's exciting to get all of you guys on the show. And we're going to touch on some nice little spiritual factors today revolving around fitness, less less about fitness because you guys already talk about that enough on your show. So um, kind of okay. want to discuss how the first kind of question I have with you is you do deal with more of the spiritual. Every time I kind of listen to you, it's more emphasis on the spiritual side of lifting. Okay. Um, so how is lifting in general, more about the spiritual aspects rather than the physical. As in, I believe it's like the physical is the driver for like the spiritual and the mind. 
when it mm. comes to fitness. Like it's not the all important to have the aesthetics in a way. Oh, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. So, um, I mean, if you're at all interested in, in long-term consistent success uh, with your workout, um, it's it's important that you focus on the the mindset, the psychology uh, that goes behind it. Um, if your intentions or your driver is not coming from a place that's good, uh, the decisions that you'll tend to make will be ones that won't benefit you long term. So let's say you're let's say you're motivated to go to the gym because you just really hate the way you look. Okay, you're disgusted with your body. Yeah, you're overweight. Uh, you're too skinny, not strong enough. Whatever. If you use that to drive, and by the way, that's a very powerful initial short-term motivator. It'll get you to the gym. It'll get you to want to work out. The problem with it is it doesn't, it, it leads to poor decision-making in the process and it doesn't work very, very well long-term. The decisions that you tend to make around exercise tend to revolve around uh, workouts as punishment. So I'm going to typically train myself harder than is appropriate because I'm so sick of looking this way. You know, I don't want to look like this anymore. So I'm going to beat myself up every time I work out. And in fact, you might not necessarily be thinking that to yourself, like I hate myself, but that's the way it's going to be reflected in your workouts. So let's say you want to lose weight and you had a day where you ate too much food. You may go to the gym the next day saying to yourself, you know, yesterday I ate a burger, I ate a burrito. Today I'm just going to, I'm just going to go for it. I mean, I need to sweat this all out. And, uh, you know, I know this is a trainer. It's a terrible approach. Uh, you ought, more often than not, you'll train yourself inappropriately if you uh, are motivated that way. Now, let's, let's look at the opposite. If the driver is self-care, I think to myself, I like to work out because it takes care of me. I like to work out because it takes care of my physical body. It helps me take care of my mind. Um, it's uh, a, a powerful tool. That helps me deal sometimes with the struggles of life. Then the decisions that you make uh, will be more appropriate. Now, if I go to the gym and I'm, if I need a workout that's easier, if I'm thinking to myself, I need to take care of myself, I'm more likely to do it. If I want, if I hate my body, I'm going to ignore the signal that I need to take care of myself. I'm going to ignore the knee pain or the fatigue, and I'm just going to keep going. If I have knee pain and I'm thinking about taking care of my body, I'm going to go in there and think about how can I help this knee pain go away? What is it that my body needs uh, right now in order to, to, to genuinely feel better? Not only that, but if you live in a state of self-hate, uh, what you may, uh, over time, uh, you'll find yourself rebelling against that because nobody wants to hate themselves for too long. In fact, what you'll hear people say who are in the state often is they say, you know, you'll talk to your friend and you know, oh, I can't, I can't stand it. I'm on a diet. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. And then, I don't know, six months later, you see them again and, you know, hey, how, how's your diet going? Oh, you know what? I, I, I need to just live my life. I need to go off the diet. I can't yeah. crap anymore. I need to enjoy life. Well, the reason why they were hating it so much was because it was coming from a place of self-hate. They weren't taking care of themselves. And nobody wants to live in that state of mind for too long. Eventually, what it feels like, it feels like you're, you're, you're tyrannizing yourself. And what eventually will happen is you'll rebel. And what does that look like? That looks like you're on a diet. And then eventually you give up. You can't do it anymore. You're like, screw this. And then you binge. That's what rebelling looks like. It looks like the opposite. 
So it's really important that you examine how, why you're doing what you're doing, what's driving you to do what you do, because in, 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 in both cases, by the way, self-care, self-hate, you can lose 20 pounds either way, right? But one is going to direct you in a more appropriate long-term way. The other one is almost always a guaranteed uh, uh, road to failure. And, you know, the other thing is even if you accomplish all your goals, if you still – if you're trying to get to a, a fitness level or body fat percentage or a muscle look because you hate the way you are, you don't like yourself, and if I just built 10 pounds of muscle, if I just lost the weight, I would be happy – what you will find is you'll never get there. You'll, you'll get to the goal, maybe, but you'll never find yourself happy. This is what tends to drive anabolic steroid use in men, plastic surgery, drug use, um, you know, diet practices that are unhealthy, exercise practices that are unhealthy. So it's very important. And, you know, as a trainer, I've trained people, hundreds of people for over 22 years. Um, you know, I've, I've identified what produces long-term success. And the self-hate approach almost never produces long-term success. The only way it produces long-term success is if somebody hates themselves and they're motivated and then at some point they figure out they need to stop hating themselves. Then that'll maybe. But it's, it's rare. Usually it's, you know, I'm working out, I'm not working out. I'm, I'm eating a particular way, now I'm off. And you get this up and down thing and this is what happens. This is why diets always, almost always fail. This is why the average person starts and stops working out, you know, once or twice a year. This is why we have a, a, an obesity. Part of the reason why we have an obesity problem, um, it's not that we can't lose the weight uh, or can't get started. It's that we can't maintain it. And it all starts with that, that route that I'm talking about. Yeah. And... I just shared you my story the other, uh, just like a few hours ago for you to kind of have something ahead of time. And that's like my, my why. And I feel like people don't have a strong enough why when they go in, like a lot of people who like, in a sense, don't have a strong reason for being in the gym. And a lot of people I see are in the gyms for social reasons more than actually wanting to improve. Right. Well, you, you, you started working out at first because of, you said bullying. I think I, what I read. Yeah, it was the bullying and the, and the suicide and everything kind of just losing yeah. my mind within dumbbells and barbells. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you found some solace in, in the discipline and practice. And, you know, exercise, I love working out because it's a, it's a very clear black and white um, personal growth uh, method. You know, fitness in general is, right? When you think about personal growth, what does that really mean? Personal growth and being growth-minded means just improving yourself. Fitness is a wonderful entry point into that. You know, it's it's easier to enter into personal growth through fitness than it is through self-help books or psychology or, or counseling because fitness doesn't present itself as personal growth. It presents itself as, oh, get in better shape and get stronger. Now, you end up discovering it's a very powerful yeah. Cool for personal growth. Um, it's also very black and white. You know, you can work out one for one week, come back the next week, see that you're stronger. It reinforces that you're, something is changing. It's very uh, objective. You know, you get stronger. You do more reps. Clear. I did something. I got better. Whereas it can be a little vague when you're, you know, working with accounts or whatever. Am I really better? Do I feel better? I think I do. Maybe it takes a little bit more time. Not saying those aren't valuable. 
just saying that fitness is, is the, in my opinion, the ideal way to start. And it always we should be a part of a personal growth. Not the only thing, but it should be a part of it. But even to you, I'll say, you know, and if you haven't reached this point yet, you probably will, that, you know, it, you, when you're in there working out, you, you'll get to a point where you stop. You're not running or you're not chasing. Now it's just a part of your practice. It's a part of what you do. And the workouts will change based off of, depending on the, the context of your life. Uh, sometimes it may be a stress reliever. Other times it may be a, a way to, to, ch- to set new personal records in the gym. Um, other times it may be uh, a great way to meet up with people that you can connect uh, with. But it's a very moldable tool. Um, and it's one that can fit almost any context. And um, the longer you do it, the more you stay growth-minded, the more you'll reap from that tool. Yeah, I definitely went through some of those phases, um, especially when I went through kind of an anxiety standpoint. That was like the one time a day where the anxiety would go away, like that one hour. That's when I would see it be one time, to, like you said, use black and white, improve some sort of rep weight, some 1% better than the last time. And then it made that anxiety go away and it shifted. And now that anxiety kind of has gone away completely because I've made better decisions from lifting out into my other aspects of life, like meditation, um, reading, breathing, like all these different types of things I'm implementing now from just starting with the discipline of lifting. Exactly. It's, it's led you to other other paths of personal growth. This is one of the reasons why I used to love training kids. You know, I, I would train kids and, and, you know, 13, 14 year olds, uh, and you would see it impact the, their schoolwork, the decisions they make with the friends that they hang out with. And it all started from, you know, developing that relationship with exercise because once you figure it out, because it's a reinforce, it's a self reinforcing system. If you do it right and you go work out, you go in, you apply yourself, you see a very clear result that it's encouraging. Then you go do it again and you see another result. Then you start to become empowered. Wow, this is something that I can do that can change uh, how I look. Oh, wow, this is something I can do to change how I feel. Oh my gosh, I can get stronger. What else can I do with this? And then it becomes, what else do I have control over in my life? What are other things I can apply this type of discipline to to see the benefit? It's an invaluable uh, lesson absolutely invaluable and it, it's one that will mm-hmm. it's the one most uh, mm-hmm. uh, consistent I would say uh, measure of success is that is that you have that that kind of an attitude you know the, the most successful people typically have a, a high level of conscientiousness and, and some level of intelligence but if you took out intelligence conscientiousness still encourages or still uh, uh, is pretty consistent in showing people uh, that people have a good level of success. So, and that comes from just being responsible, having some discipline, and you learn that through. Uh, and, and I think fitness is a great way to, to enter into that. Yeah, yeah. I I say it actually led me to be. I didn't create this podcast till now, but it led me to, especially now, lifting and doing this podcast for almost ten months now. Um, it's led me to be a better podcaster. Because the podcast also empowers me to bring that improvement every single time I go into a different interview. 
um, improve some sort of way with the conversation or something or go a different direction that I wanted to. And my experiences I have with lifting come into the podcast, which is interesting. Oh yeah. One of the, one of the greatest lessons with, uh, with fitness is that in order to get good at an exercise, you have to do reps. You have to do lots of reps, right? Yeah. Well, what do you do to get better at podcasting? Just lots do a of bunch reps. reps. Lots of reps. It's no different, right? So like the first time you squatted, you sucked and you probably sucked for a while and then you became okay and you got a little better and then you got good at it and then you got really good at it. Uh, well, doesn't that apply to anything? You know, it, you do the reps. You know, when we started Mind Pump, uh, you know, we, we already had years of that kind of experience and um, we do that. So we, we purposely did five episodes a week, purposely. We knew that, first off, we could keep it up because I think if you start a podcast, whatever you, whatever you put out, you got to maintain. You don't want to give your audience you know, X amount, uh, a particular schedule, and then take it away. That, that'll kill you. But we knew we could commit because we're talking about fitness. It's something we could talk about all day long. But we also wanted the reps. We said, okay, if we want to get really good in a, as fast as we can, we need to just do a lot. We need to do a lot of reps and practice and practice and practice. And so we started podcasting five days a week uh, in order to do that. And it did. It helped us. So, you know, here we are five years later. I've got more episodes in five years than podcasts have been around for 10 years because we do five episodes a week. So it took three guys with zero media experience, um, good fitness knowledge, you know, able to communicate fitness really well. But it's turned us into decent podcasters because we've done so many damn episodes. It was all yeah. the rest. Yeah, actually, I was just going to I was going to ask you about that. Um, when did you realize you wanted to make that kind of a career move in a way um, like doing the podcast and then creating Mind Pump in general, like not how you guys created it. But when did you know you wanted to make it a career by podcasting, basically? Well, I, I I had created Maps Anabolic with uh, with Doug, who was my partner at the time. He's our producer. Yeah. And Doug and I were trying to figure out. I had um, I had been training people for a long time, but I was a local trainer. Yeah. So in my area, I had a good reputation. I had good authority, but I was going to sell a fitness program online, and I had zero authority outside of my local uh, area. Like nobody knew me outside of the gym area in San Jose, right? Or, or you know, maybe maybe a little bit further north and south, but that was about it. So Doug and I knew we had to create a vehicle to build that authority. So because I didn't, I wasn't the buffest guy. I wasn't the strongest guy in the world. I wasn't a, a fitness model. That's typically how people get attention. But I knew I had good information. Yeah. So we said, okay, how can we build some kind of authority? Because no one's going to buy a fitness program off you unless you have some kind of authority people think it's, it's valuable no one's going to believe the stuff that you say in the advertising so we thought about writing a book and podcasts sound really good because it was a perfect medium for me i think uh you know good fitness information uh it's, it's a discussion you know I, if i'm going to talk to somebody about how to really lose weight in a long-term way it's not a five-minute discussion it's not a 50-second commercial it's a it's a discussion. It's a talk. long form type of discussion. Yeah, exactly. And podcasting. With, plus, I love podcasting because it's audio. So it doesn't matter how old I get, whatever. I'll still remain relevant. If I'm on yeah. print or video, um, you know, with fitness is a young kind of thing. Nobody wants to, you know, 
they, they'll take advice from the shredded 20 year old, but maybe not the 40 year old or the 50 or 60 year old. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> sounded perfect. So we had talked about that for a little bit and then that's, you know, and then of course I met with Adam and we had known each other from before and we all decided to start mind pump. When did we start to decide to start to make it a business? Well, for, for a full year, we didn't monetize at all. I had the first fitness program done, MAPS Anabolic. I mean, when okay. I done, I don't mean just the program was written out. I mean, we had the videos and the online site and the marketing and everything, like, ready to go. We had that ready before we started Mind Pump. But we, we waited a year before we ever even talked about it because we wanted to build an audience. We wanted to build value. We wanted to see how much value we could build, how much our audience really, uh, how much they valued our information. And so it took us a year to do that. And at, at that year mark, we were hearing enough people telling us, hey, can you please put out a program? Can you sell something? I'd love to support. I'd love to buy, you know, like, what, what, what do you guys provide? What can you do? And so we said, okay, let's see what happens. And we launched uh, Maps Anabolic and... We did right away exceptionally well, but that's because we had built so much value for a whole year. Once we launched it and we saw those numbers pop up the first month and then the second month and then the third month and then we, you know, we put together the programs and we could see mind pump revenues coming up. I mean, keep in mind, we're four guys with families and we had successful careers, so it wasn't like you know we could just leave right away. But at one point, we sat down and said, okay... Um, this is what we all want to do. Got that? <laughs> yeah, I got that. <laughs> this is what we all want to do. Uh, we love doing it. We love talking about fitness. Um, this is fun. All of us enjoyed the hell out of it. It was even more fun than training people. We're gonna able. We're able to reach more people that we can help this way. Um, the money started coming in, so we said, "Let's do this." So everybody quit, and we went uh, full time, and uh, that was it. Yeah, I think the cool part, I was just a guest on uh, Brad Jansen's podcast, um, the Key Nutrition Podcast, and I was talking about it, I was like, the coolest part is like, no one can actually see who you are, in a way, like, I kind of think that's like the coolest thing, like, no one really knows, unless they follow me on Instagram, no one knows I'm 22 years old, unless they've listened from the beginning when I said that, like, it's like, people think I'm like, 27 or 28 like the amount of times i've gotten that from people is really funny and then they find out i'm like 22 and they're like really i'm like yeah i just do what i do i just put my mind out but like i'm pretty close to beating my goal already for 2020 like that's building value right there it's like excellent yeah and the the thing about uh the funny thing about podcasting is they know you better uh than if they just saw you because it's long form so you know, I'm on a pod. I'm, I, our podcasts are an hour, an hour and a half long. I'm talking, I'm expressing myself, talking about my life, talking about fitness, answering questions. And so when people listen to 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 episodes or thousands, we have, five, you know, we have fans that have listened to every episode. They know me. They know me very well. Um, and again, it's because it's, it's intimate, you know, podcasting much more. Into, it's hard to fake. You can fake Instagram. You can fake. You, you can even fake blogs. Oh, that's a little harder, but you can still do It's hard to fake an hour podcast uh, yeah. every week. Yeah. You either yeah. know what you're talking about or you don't. And at some point, your audience will figure that out uh, because, it's again, it's long form. 
Yeah, I was listening to one of your episodes and I was like, I remember you, it was a little skit. I think I remember you saying that it was like from, I want to say it was like a few months ago, actually, right? When you said that or something about um, being kind of, if you have a podcast, you need to know your shit. Like yep. that's like, I remember you saying that and that kind of stuck my mind and I was like, man, I got a lot of improving to do to make sure I know my shit. I was like, once I was like, once I scheduled you, I was like, okay, I need to know my shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good for you. But you're, you know, you're young and you've already been doing this for 10 months. I mean, you're, you're way ahead of the game. So yeah, uh, that's the, that's the hope. Good to you. Good to you. Um, so more delving into more of those life aspects with the spiritual side. Um, so I mentioned like I do meditation, um, breathing, walking, um, how do you kind of take care of yourself spiritually that might help other people too? Cause I feel like this is something that a lot of people overlook when it comes into, like we have said, the whole fitness aspect, the whole mental health, mental health has been huge for me the past six years since I went through all that bullying and then went through suicide and then going through anxiety. So it's like mental health has been my home basically with trying to just improve it. And just like, what do you, do you have any tips for taking care of yourself spiritually that might help a lot of people? Yeah. Spiritual, uh, spiritual health is extremely important. Um, it, you know, look, I don't care who you are. You are going to be presented with uh, challenges in life, tremendous challenges. It doesn't matter if you make a lot of money, a little bit of money, uh, boy, girl, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, your challenges will be your challenges, but you will be challenged. Uh, things can be hard. You can feel lost. You can feel lonely, sad, mental illness, physical illness, friends, you know, uh, somebody gets sick around, you lose your job, whatever. You're going to be presented with challenges. Spiritual health provides you with the meaning and purpose that keeps you going. Without, without purpose and meaning, life, especially without purpose, right? Life starts to, like, you'll start to think to yourself, why? Why, why deal with this? Why put up with this? Why? Yeah. And by the way, it's, you know, I know sometimes people think, oh, you know, wealthy people don't need to go through that. Well, actually, the suicide rate among celebrities is through the roof. And uh, they have all the money, power, and sex that they could ever want. Um, you need to have a sense of purpose and meaning. And spirituality can provide that. There's a lot of different ways to accomplish it, I think. But for me, I've more recently now gone the more uh, traditional route, the religious route. Um, I'm finding a lot of value in the in the in the Christian religion. And you know, if I go, it, people don't know my story. I was a very strong, staunch atheist uh, when we started Mind Pump. Um, so this has been a, a journey for me of, of, of seeking. Okay. Yeah. But um, it does provide that for me. It helps spiritual health, helps eliminate the anxieties and fears that we tend to have. You know, um, if there's a lot of uncontrollables in life, uh, like right now we're in this pandemic. Okay. Uh, there's a, there's a disease that's out there, a virus that's, that's killing people. I can't control it. Okay. One thing that you might do if you're religious is you might say, okay, I'm going to control what I can, wash my hands, social distance, be smart, but the rest of it, I'm going to leave to God, okay? Uh, the Stoics, Stoic philosophy is, is, is another spiritual practice. They don't have a metaphysical aspect of it, but they'll say something like, leave it to fate, right? Can't control that. I'll leave that to fate. I'll control what I can. Um, so it's very important. Meditation is excellent uh, because uh, another another excellent tool because it allows you to 
get out of your what they'll call the monkey mind where we're constantly living in front or in back, right? We're, we're constantly thinking about the future, which can induce anxiety, or we're thinking about the past, which tends to induce regret. And meditation teaches you how to be here right now, which is neither of those things. And that can bring a, a good sense um, of calm. It can get the those looping thoughts out of your head. Now, personally for me, the what's real, been real effective for me is I, I pray every day, but I do throw, I do so through journaling. So I have a journal, and every day, uh, or most days, I write uh, like I'm writing to God, and I'm like I'm talking to Him. Now, it's real effective for me because when I write, writing is another form of thinking, so it actually gets my thoughts out a little bit better. And yeah. uh, you, can even, you don't even have to write to anybody. You can just do this yourself. If you have looping thoughts... Write some of it down. What you'll find, you'll start to process it and you'll stop the loop. Because, again, it's a different form of thinking. Just like talking is a different form of thinking. So when I journal and do that, oh, man, it makes a huge makes a huge difference. Reminds me to be grateful. If I'm angry in it, I find myself being angry. But now that I'm writing it, I start to process it. And then I find some gratitude at the end. Well, well, you know, I'm getting this out of it or whatever. So for me, I would say those are probably... The, 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 the most effective ones. You know, I, there's a there's a meditative component to exercise for me. Always has been too. Okay. Uh, when I when I work out, I'm very present. Um, I'm in that workout. I put my headphones on, especially if I'm in a set. That's it. There's nothing. I'm not thinking about other things, and that can be very um, grounding uh, for me. Yeah, journaling has been a big one for me. Um, I was talking about how scared I was to kind of bring back those memories. Kind of, I rewrite kind of my past in a way sometimes when I journal. Mm. Um, Helps you process which, that. Which it, it, I was scared at first, let's say. Um, it was probably the most nervous I've been. I've talked about this a few times to uh, some people who have been guests on here, and I was like, I always recommend journaling in some form, whether it's gratitude or just writing your thoughts out on paper. Mm. But I never came to terms with what I went through until I finally put that pen to paper and yeah. wrote out what actually happened and kind of let that kind of leave my brain. So relieving myself of the past has been something that was really challenging for me, but has given me power to be in the present in a way. You, do you know what's happening in your brain when you do that? Because they no. actually, they've actually this is they've actually shown this. So we have a, a frontal lobe in the front of the brain and that's our um, logical conscious part of the brain. That's what we process and you know, if if you know, teenagers have an underdeveloped frontal lobe, which is why they can be reckless and, and impulsive and as we get older the frontal lobe becomes more and more developed and we become more rational. And so we have a feeling in the back of our brain that, uh, you know, pissed off frontal lobe processes and says, eh, don't punch the wall. <laughs> don't do that. So that's what the frontal lobe does. Now, when we have traumatic experiences, they, because they're so traumatic, we don't want to revisit them because they're too painful. We don't want to think about them consciously anymore. Okay. In fact, in extreme cases, people can forget trauma for decades, years or decades, and then it pops up. Oh my gosh, I forgot all about that because they don't want to face it. It's so painful. So what happens when you write it out 
because that's again another form of thinking is it's forcing the frontal lobe to finish the process so rather than it being stored in the back of your brain or in the more reactive parts of the brain because when it's stored there we, we you have to but the way they explain it is there's a process that has to happen for a feeling to be gone to, for you to feel it first you feel it react to it think about it process it then it's gone if you don't get to think about it, process a part done, you just feel it and it, it stays there. So by writing it, you were able to process it. You were able to consciously think about it. And because of that, it can now leave uh, that reactive part of the brain that was living in. And I also think to add to that, it also makes you confident that you can face difficult things because you did it. Oh, I did that. I wrote it and I talked about it. So it's a very powerful thing. In some cases, it's very difficult for people um, from what I've read that they, don't, they can't. It's too scary and too painful to even entertain the thought of, of, of processing. Uh, but there's some interesting studies that are showing that um, uh, psychedelic uh, use through therapy. They're using things like MDMA or whatnot to in a therapist, this is a clinical setting. So this isn't like you go to a party and take a drug. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seemingly the opposite. You do it wrong. But because the, the, the drug allows them to feel empathetic and compassionate to themselves, they revisit the pain and they process it and then it's gone. So that's what you, I think what you experience by writing it out. Um, and that takes a lot of courage. Yeah. That's what kind of, I guess now that makes sense because when I wrote that post I shared to you, I was like in tears in the living room, like surrounded by my roommates, just writing it out because someone told me to do it. Yeah. And my roommates were like, why are you crying? And I just like showed them the whole thing that I wrote. But it was such a relief to post that. And I was talking about, I was talking to this with Adam actually about being vulnerable. And it just gave me that sense of like just relief from it all. Like letting others know that I went through that was kind of a relief in a sense. Not that I did. I didn't want people's, oh, I'm sorry for this. Sorry for that. Like, no, I didn't want that really. It was kind of just more of a selfish reason for me to push it out. You know, bravery is not the absence of fear. Um, bravery is, um, is, is, is defined. It's, it's not being defined by fear or defying the fear. You can't be brave unless you're afraid. Otherwise, there's not, it's not, you're not brave. If you're not afraid, there's no bravery needed. So, um, doing something like that, that's that difficult, required a tremendous amount of bravery. And the reason why I'm telling you this is so that you can reinforce to yourself that you're brave. Okay? That you have that bravery. Because I think sometimes when we do that stuff, especially as men, we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to maybe cry or feel because we think it's weak. It's actually not. It's very strong to allow yourself to feel and allow yourself to process. So again, kudos to you. Yeah. Um, I think it just helped. It also helped just create so many. There was a positive from it that was kind of unreal. The amount of people that actually read it and it reached. And then the amount of people that messaged me saying they went through something similar and that it's cool in a way to see someone else post about their experience because mm -hmm. it also gave them a relief as well saying because yeah. giving them knowing that someone else went through it themselves absolutely absolutely that's really cool yeah um and kind of going back to 
be in the present. Um, I think this is huge, um, especially in the lift. You were discussing about that during your lifting. You find it meditative. Yeah. Um, I kind of have. I kind of still have a lockbox full of those memories in the back of my mind that come out sometimes during lifting. So kind of ruins my day <laughs> or, or week. Um, as I say, it just depends how much I can recover or how I do recover, which usually involves more meditation. Um, but why is it so important to think in the now and not in the future, especially when it comes to anything from lifting and all those types of just even from a stress standpoint, because I think this is where I got caught up is before I started meditating, I was always stressed about the next day or the next, even like the next, 20 minutes from now um i think that's something but being in the now especially for my lifts has been something that's monumental and i remember learning that from you on your show is hearing that when you described that and kind of changed the way i thought about lifting and keeping myself connected to me in the now yeah so um i mean to put it plainly the only thing that exists that actually exists is right now. The future is a thought. It's an idea. The past is also an idea. Neither one of those is actually happening right now. Never. The past and the future are never happening. It's always a thought forward and back. If you live in the future and the past, what does that mean? That means that you're not living life you are not because life is happening now. Life is about the present. So now I'm not going to say I'm not I'm not uh, saying that the concept of future and past are important. Of course they are. It's what makes us human. What makes us human is this this consciousness that we have that we know our own mortality. We understand how to plan for the future. We understand how to learn from past mistakes. That's all very important. But along with that comes the the challenge of 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 being present. Um, the things that tend to make us feel the best are things that take us into being present, falling in love, um, you know, hand gliding or, you know, jumping out of a plane or, you know, ask people who do that. It's like, Oh, because I'm present when I do that. Um, being really involved with something where you forget that you're, you know, you forget about going into the future or the past. So it's very, very important. Being in the present is calm. It's observing. It's, uh, it's a knowing. A good book on this topic, by the way, is A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Highly, highly recommend people read that book as he kind of breaks down, um, you know, practices on, on how to do. I'm constantly working on it myself. The ego, which is the, the ego is something our consciousness created, necessary, but it also can be a, a, a challenge. The ego does not live in the present. In the present is the real you, right? Because you can, in the actual present, I'm observing, I'm interacting. The ego exists only in the future and only in the present. It was created to deal with those things and to process those things. Also very important. But if you let the, I mean, we all know about trouble with the ego, the ego, you allow it to take over, um, and again, anxiety, depression, fear, regret, all those different things. I mean, 
How, think about this. Think about an embarrassing thing that happened in the past. I'm sure you probably could very easily think of something. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah no, I can, right? You know, like experiencing it once in the, in the present was bad enough, right? Why do I continue to experience it? It's, it's not here. It's not happening. And yet I can think about the embarrassing thing that happened to me twice a day. You know, once a day, maybe once a week, whatever. But it's I'm still being tormented by something that is not happening anymore. Right? Or I could think about the future and be anxious about, well, what about this? What if that? What if this? What if that? I mean, aside from planning, now what I'm doing is I'm bringing something to the present that doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It's a, it's a potential. It's a thought. So uh, it's very important to have a, a, a practice that allows you to be present. Um, it's the antidote. It's you know part of the antidote to all the things that plague modern humans. Like I said, anxiety, depression, feelings of loneliness or worthlessness or emptiness. Like things aren't, you know, uh, uh, there's no meaning to things or whatever. Being present is part of that antidote. And I feel like also that it takes people, it took me to actually get anxiety to actually realize that I needed to be more present. Um, I feel like that has to happen in every single person, but that's just my view. I feel like in some way you're going to need that call to action in some sense, especially when it comes to learning how to be present. Like you can't just, you're not going to learn it from the start. There has to be something that triggers that call to action to actually learn how to stay present and be in the now. Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily disagree. Uh, uh, pain and challenge are powerful uh, growth um, motivators. They're, 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 they're powerful. They, they're very, very effective at getting us to grow because you have no... I mean, you have a choice. You could sit there and suffer, but at some point it may become so unbearable that you have to figure out how to... Uh, not suffer you know suffering is a human condition pain is not pain is you know all animals feel pain but we suffer you know what i'm saying yeah. we suffer because we ruminate we we are at odds with reality like you know if i'm if i am right now there's a reality that's really strange because things are shut down uh the economy looks like it's taking a hit businesses are shutting down people are getting sick so I could sit here and be like, this sucks. This sucks. This is terrible. I hate this. I hate this. <laughs> I'm suffering. Yeah. I am. I'm, I'm at odds with reality. Okay. With what is real, you know, or I'm short. Damn it. I'm short. I hate being short. I'm short. I want to be tall. I'm short. You are at, you are, you are, if you're at war with reality, you're in hell. You're in absolute hell. So, uh, you know, learn to accept. Acceptance is very powerful. You know, you, you accept reality. You can be positive. You can be um, positive, but you, you be positive about your ability to work through challenges, not positive that you think things will turn out a particular way. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I could be positive and say, you know what? By the end of the year, coronavirus will be controlled. Everything will be back to normal. We're going to be great. That's positive with an expectation. The problem with that is what happens if that expectation isn't met. That's a bad, that's a bad position to be in. That is, yeah. you're, you're going to be at odds with reality. 
Rather, you should be positive and say, um, don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what it's going to look like, but uh, I know I'll, I'll, I'll figure out a way to be okay. I'm, po- I, 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 I'm positive that I'll work through it regardless and be okay. Very different. Now, you don't have any expectations on what's happening around you, but you, do, you are positive in your ability to handle whatever situation happens. Yeah, and it's kind of like going back to what you were saying earlier, where you control what you have. Like, it's control the controllables and let life and everything else is uncontrollable. So don't focus on that. It's like focus on what you could do now. And that's something that I'm preaching to the clients I'm working with is like, you have control of your diet, of how you approach your home workouts. Like, yes, they might not be the most optimal workouts in the world. Like, yes, we could have gyms, but how you approach those is 100% going to help you or determine what you get out of this quarantine. And then I was like, you have those two things, and then you also have control of your mind and what your thoughts are. So I was like, that's been the three keys I've tried to been focusing on with my clients. That's excellent. I mean, look, why is it that some people not only survive hardship but thrive and other people who go through similar situations uh, it kills them. What's the difference? Like, why is it that some people could have a, 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 you know, an accident or a situation that alters their life. And then because of it, they become better. They become stronger. They become better people. And why is it that other people will have a, a big change in their life and it just crushes them. They can never recover. The difference is acceptance Control what you can control. I mean, you can definitely control your attitude. I didn't say, I mean, by the way, I'm not saying it's easy. So I'm not, yeah. I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to pretend here and say, oh, this is easy. Nah, it's, it's hard. But uh, you can. It's your attitude, right? You you own it. Control that. Work, focus on the controllables. And your odds of surviving hardship are much higher. I mean, you can you can read about the accounts from POWs, you know, people who are trapped in 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 in, pris- in, in uh, prisons, uh, you know, during wartime, who are randomly tortured and they don't know when they're going to get out. The ones that survive will tell you uh, that they you typically have a spiritual practice. They create schedules for themselves, and that they accept the situation. They're they accept it, um, and they work focus on what they can control: their attitude, how they view things their own actions and they're the ones that tend to survive and be okay uh whereas the other ones tend to uh have a a a bad time yeah i think my one of my favorite books is actually uh man's search for meaning Mm. by victor franco i think this one comes up right into what you were saying is he kind of accepted the suffering in a way and he found purpose in his life from that while he was writing his full accounts of what he was going through and I really think that's like one of the top five books I recommend everybody read because you truly don't know what your meaning is until you go through something and some sort, like you were talking about, like you need to go through that to find meaning and purpose. Um, that one changed. That was the first book, bef- like right as I released my podcast, that I started reading. Oh, cool. Uh, so that was like a whole mindset shifter once I read that. And it's like, 
one of the quickest reads you'll ever do because it's the, one of the best books and you just can't put it down. But uh, it's cool. I mean, I mean, I mean, why would anybody grow unless they're where, the, where they were at was too painful to stay, right? Yeah. So you know, pain and challenge is it's it's the impetus uh, for growth. So and that might help you embrace it when you encounter it. Yeah, and people didn't survive. People don't know, and if you haven't read it, I don't want to give any spoilers. But if you, but he survived because he found acceptance in that, and he found meaning through his writing, what he was doing, um, and the suffering that he went through. While other people were going through the same suffering, but never truly accepted it, were the ones that didn't make it in the end. Right. Uh, right. Yep. Makes perfect sense. And another thing, you also brought up ego. Um, this is a book I actually read pretty recently, which is Ego is the Enemy. Mm. Um, probably one of the best books on ego, I think, is incredible book, too. Um, so dealing with ego, in a sense, um, you said you talked about um, not letting ego take over. But is there a time, is there ever a time to actually let it take over, though? Or should you always try to subsidize it as much as possible? Because I think there's a point where you need to, I was talking about today on one of my guests on like my caption, I was talking about being selfish for yourself mm-hmm. though. Like there's a time and a lot of people think that's ego, but it's not, but you're just being, you're trying to look out for your best self right. in a way. Well, so, I, think, I think the key is to make friends with your ego and to keep it in check. Um, because ego is a very, I mean, look, what makes humans special? Uh, you know, we're intelligent. Um, you know, we, we communicate a particular way. We can record our ideas and thoughts so we can build upon them. And we are self-aware. We're self-aware differently than other animals are. Um, we have a concept of the future and the past. We understand our own mortality. We can think about ourselves. You know, I can sit here and think and ponder about me. I can ask questions like why I'm here and all that stuff. That's all ego. So if you completely get rid of the ego, we become animals, right? You know, if you want to become like an animal where you just react, um, I mean, that's, I don't think that's progress either. I think that the key is to uh, make friends with your ego and keep it in check. So should it ever take over? Uh, I don't know if there's ever a case where it needs to take over, but I think it's always going to be there. I think people who say you need to get rid of your ego, I think they don't know what they're talking about because if you did, again, you would be this reactive animal. You would literally be like an animal, which maybe maybe you would be in a state of bliss. Who knows? But you would also not be very aware. <laughs> it's funny like the, 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 the Bible, uh, they, some people say the first story in it where Adam and Eve eat the apple, that's, that's what they're talking about was the first time that humans became self-aware. It was the, the tree of knowledge. They bit the apple yeah they had the concept of self-awareness and then all of a sudden they were aware of their own shame and sin and you know which so it's like this wonderful gift that comes along with all this other challenges so um i think you just got to make friends with it and and keep it in check that's all yeah that's actually another reminder i just got finished reading jordan peterson's 12 rules for life and i think that's like one of the key stories that he always focuses on yeah um being self-aware is hard to learn though um, that's something it's, you'll never, you'll never figure it out. It's, I mean, yeah. what I mean is you're not going to ever be like, ah, I got it. Yeah. Constant, <laughs> right. Because what you're not aware of, you're not aware of. So how can you become aware of it? You have to keep working. 
you know, uh, podcasting is a great tool for self-awareness, by the way. Um, you know, there's nothing like listening to yourself talk for an hour um, for you to reflect. And, you know, when you're in a state of mind and you're talking, you're not aware necessarily of how you may sound. Then you may listen in a different state of awareness, hear yourself talk, and then you can say things like, oh, I sounded like a dick right there. Or, what? well, you know, that was my, I sounded really insecure. Like, why would I say that? Or, And it's a, it's a good tool for self-reflection um if you use it the right way oh yeah i've been through based on my own experience going through some of these episodes i kind of look back and i listen and i'm like it's like what was i trying to say there i'm like i'm like really i was like that's what i said i was like now now being this many episodes in though and looking back at my older episodes it was like i would completely have a different answer yeah and because you learn from your experiences and now learning from everybody else's how I've come to kind of shift my mindset and how I think about things. Yep. It, it also means that you have to think about what you did or how you can improve. So if you're in a argument with somebody, very, very easy to focus on them, uh, what they did wrong, who, whatever. But uh, try this. And by the way, doing this doesn't absolve the other person of what they did. So if somebody did something mean to you, just because I look at myself and say, how did I contribute or what was my role? Doesn't mean it absolves them of their responsibility. But, you know, let's say you're let's say you're in an abusive relationship for for three years. So, you know, it's 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 abusive. It's emotionally abusive, verbally abusive, whatever. And you finally get out of it and you think, ah, you know, that person was such a shitty person. You know, that person was abusive. They were manipulative. They were take a pause and say, how did I contribute to that? Now, it may be as simple as I allowed it to happen for two years. That was my role. Or I fed it. I fed it by responding in this particular way. I encouraged it by whatever. My point is, and again, it doesn't absolve the other person. My point is, in every one of those challenging situations, if you can stop and ask yourself, what was my role, and look at yourself, you will uh, achieve a greater deal of self-awareness and it's very empowering it's hard but it's very empowering yep i think i think also learning the truth is something huge that's kind of like my big thing is like i am always 100 percent honest with people if now that i've learned since i've been through all that um i really don't try to be as there's a thing where there's times when you think you need to lie and this is something I learned from from the book, 12 Rules for Life, is like, if you don't know what to do, tell the truth. Mm. Uh, that was one of his rules. And this is something that I stand by like completely since, I think this year when I started becoming selfish and looking out for myself, is like, if people are kind of just getting in my way or they're doing something wrong, I'm going to call them out. Like, But I yeah. look at myself, for, but I always question myself first on why am I thinking that way? And what did I possibly do to maybe cause that? There's, there's a time when you had the look of, like you said, like introspection of what did, what did I possibly do that might have caused that to happen? Right. And you might even say to yourself, uh, do, am I, do I enjoy t calling people out? Is this really because I want to be honest and move forward? Or is this because now I'm getting to the point where I like to tell people what they're doing wrong? Like that would be another 
you know, thing you could ask yourself, for example, to, to get to a new level of, because it's insidious. It, it, you, if you don't, yes. your, your, your ego can position questions to make you feel like you're doing, you know, the, oh yeah, no, that's good. You know, that's the right thing. Like, and then you might think, wait a minute, do I like telling people, you know, calling them out because I just like to tell people that it makes me feel better about myself or am I actually doing it because, but you know, what you said about being selfish, you can't pour from an empty cup. And so, you know, that basically the best version of you will do the best in the world. The, the best version of you will do far better things and more things than the worst version of you or, or a worse version of yourself. So what's the best version of me? Fit, healthy, I get good sleep. So am I selfish with those things? Well, yeah, because I can't do all the good things that I want to do if I don't have those things. How can I possibly help anybody if I'm tired, sick, unhealthy, unfit, those types of things? So, and, and of course, there's a line there between am I working out because I'm taking care of myself or is this now another form of narcissism or escape? Because working out can also be a pathology as well. So it's just, uh, it's, it's a never ending. That's what I mean by make friends with your ego, but don't let it take over. It's not, it doesn't happen just once and then you're done. This is like, you know, it's kind of all the time, you know, that you're, you're kind of working on it. And it, it, you get better at it, I think, as you go along. But uh, I think the second you become really comfortable, that's when you start to go, oh, wait a minute. Um, you know, I, 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 I stop being self-aware for a second there. You know, conflict is a great one. Conflict will tip, typically point that out. If you, if you start having conflicts with people. Um, that's a great time to ask yourself, what was my role and why do I feel this? Why did that person get on my nerves? So I remember you, your feelings you're, are yours. You can control them in the sense that they come from you. Okay. So when you have strong feelings, that's a great time for self-awareness. Why, why, how, why did that person, they said that thing about me and then I got so mad. Why did I get so mad? And okay. And you think to yourself, well, what they said was mean. Okay, yeah, but why did I get so mad? Why did I feel like that? Why did I let it bother me so much? Like, what? Where is that coming from? You know, and it's yeah. the insecurity or a fear. You know, like if, if you know, uh, when I was younger, I was real skinny, so you could have teased me about anything. But if you teased me about being skinny, that would have really hurt my feelings. You know, um, because that's something I was insecure about. So, uh, conflict, I think, is a good one. Yeah, I always, that's what your question exactly, what one of those questions that you were saying exactly kind of resonates with some things I got into conflicts about in the past few years, which is, I say, why do I give it so much power? Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, Yeah, absolutely. It's like you're, you're, it's like you have this, you know, I have a friend right now that um, moved out of his situation. He had a roommate and there was really bad uh, relationship and it was just, it was five years and it was crappy moves out right and now what he wants to do is he wants to talk about this person all the time and how much they hate them and all the stuff and i get the processing aspect but i told them hey look um you're still living with them right now like you're still they're still occupying space in or occupying space within your space because if you're done done then uh then release it because otherwise it's still affecting you you're still let you're still living with this person and so we had that conversation yeah that was that was one of the hardest conversations i've also had with people like 
especially with work as as this whole thing kind of came about this whole quarantine type thing um it kind of ended like my job i've worked at for the past two years where people have become family at least some people and then some people relationship weren't too well Mm -hmm. but now this quarantine kind of gave me an opportunity to just distance myself and move away from that scenario in a way where now i don't think about that person anymore or those people Mm -hmm. um so the quarantine's been a blessing and a curse (laughs) in the same way usually they usually come in pairs don't they yeah um I kind of have one more question for you. Um, This is one I've never asked anybody, but I'm kind of interested on how your take is going to be on this. Um, What's your biggest fear in life right now? Actually, I have two questions. This is is the first one. I have another one after this. What would be right now my biggest fear? Yeah. Um, You know, I work really hard on not not allowing a fear to live inside me that doesn't mean i'm not afraid but the one that i think i i more recently have been challenged with is the fear of not being the best father that i can be um you know i i I was married for 15 years i got divorced about four years ago and uh my kids are with me one week and then they're with their mom one week we have a good relationship my ex-wife and i in terms of raising the kids yeah but it, it really was a difficult process because I, I i i knew you know i didn't want it to affect the kids negatively i wanted to them to know that their mom and i was still there and loving i did not have a super active role in parenting them when i was married i worked a lot when i got divorced i now started to have much more of an active role huge learning curve you know, I got to figure out how to do all this stuff like I never did before. And so I just, I, I had a bit of an insecurity around it. A- am I a good father? Am I doing this right way? Am I reacting to that the right way? Am I hurting them? Is this hurt them? Is it damaged them? So I would say that's the one that I, I battle with uh, more, more recently. Yeah, that's, I've battled with something of mine. I'll just say mine because you said yours. So I feel like I can say sure. mine. Uh, it's more so of, those people who did bully me in a way, giving them that power that if this thing doesn't work out or my coaching um, doesn't work out, my business fails in a way, like it gives them that power. Like mm. that's my biggest fear is that all comes back around is that if I fail in what I'm doing now, that it gives the people who I've spoken about, haven't said names, but I've spoken about my experiences I went through, mm-hmm. that power again back into my uh, life. Uh, I can see that. Who decides if you fail? Only me. Yeah, there you go. Who so, has the power? Me. Right. <laughs> um, I have one more final question for you. Um, how, I, this is another deep one too. How have your views of life kind of changed since starting the podcast? In a sense of what has probably been the most, the most important thing you have taken away from an episode or even just creating it and having thousands of episodes? Uh, well, the, the ones that had the biggest impact on me were the, were the ones where I interviewed um, uh, Bishop Barron. He's a, a Catholic bishop, but he has a very strong media presence. 
Um, and he, at the time when I first found him, I was agnostic. Um, and um, he really, he answered all my questions and all my cynical comments. And he, um, he really convinced me of the, the, the wisdom of uh, spiritual truth. Um, and, um, and that had a massive impact on me. It was the, it was the thing that finally helped me let go, you know, cause again, I was, I was married for 15 years with two kids. I come from a very traditional Italian family, getting divorced was out of the question. And, um, you know, when I finally made the decision that this wasn't going to work, I was convinced like beyond a shadow, like, like I, as convinced as I am that one plus one is two, I was convinced that I'd never get married again and definitely <laughs> never have more kids. Like not going to happen. I've already got my two kids. No need to ever get married again. Uh, I'll have girlfriends. I don't care, but I'm not going to get married. Never going to happen again. Then I fell in love with somebody, a remarkable young lady. And um, it challenged me because of that. I was afraid. Like, ah, oh, you know, why don't we just be together? I don't want to. But, you know, she wants to start a family. She wants to get married. And I'm too afraid. And it's pushing us apart. And the, the, what I, the growth that I went through that started with the, that the, the Bishop Barron interviews and so on helped me release that fear and find my true core of who I am. What's my true core? I am a family man. I love that. I love kids. Love children. I love a lot of kids. Yeah. I have a traditional and I grew up in a particular way and I love that. I love the big family, the what it comes with. I don't mind the challenges that come with it. Um, marriage is uh, very important to me. So um, so that helped. And then I, I, I got past it and it was like a it was like a blanket. I lifted off when I finally was able to I was working towards it, working towards it. And then that blanket came off and it was like, oh man, that's, yes, this is, of course, this is who I am. It's who I've always been. And, uh, got married again and we got a baby on the way. Awesome. Uh, congratulations. Thanks. Um, yeah, I'm from an Italian household too. Um, I'm the only guy out of 12 cousins. Holy shit. So, so I'm the only one who's actually able to like carry on the name. So I'm like, no pressure. <laughs> I'm like, this is no pressure at all. I'm like, yeah, it's yeah. fine. It's like, and I'm like, this started, and I'm like, oh, great. I was like, it's like, man, I'm not going to get married until I'm like 30. I'm like, I'm going to be okay. I was yeah, like, you're, cool. <laughs> you're okay. you're, listen, you're a guy. It takes us longer to mature. Build, build, you know, become more mature. Build yourself up. You build your business. Your 20s is a great time to test yourself. You can push yourself as hard. See where your limits are at. You don't have much responsibility now. Trust me, you'll have a lot of it in the future. Um and just become the best version of yourself. And then when you're like 35, you can marry a, a you know a, a a girl who's younger than you. Maybe she's ready to have kids and she's 28 or whatever. And you're a man; you can have kids whenever you want. So you got some time in yeah. hand. <laughs> and do better anyway when we're a little older. Again, again, it takes us longer to mature. This is a fact. So don't worry about it. You're fine. Awesome. Um, so I do the same three questions with every single guest. Okay. Um, First off, I want to say thank you for coming on the show. Um, no it's been an experience and a half having all of you guys be able to speak with the top of the top when it comes to podcasters, at least in my mind and a lot of people's minds. Um, but first first uh, question I have is, if you could summarize this podcast and what you've kind of 
given to people, what three things would you want everybody to leave with? Oh, um, let's see. Uh, train, train yourself and eat in a particular way because you're taking care of yourself. So take care of yourself through exercise and diet. And what's going to happen as a result of that is you'll get better results that will last you forever. The second thing is that um, being present is part of the antidote to anxiety, fear, depression, and regret. So develop some, some practices around being present. It's not easy, but it does uh, work, and it is a practice. It is something you have to train in yourself. Um, and the last thing I would say is uh, spiritual health is uh, a big part of overall health. So don't ignore it. Awesome. Um, second to last question is, uh, what three books and or podcasts would you recommend everybody listen to or read? Oh, wow. Um, okay. A new earth by Eckhart Tolle. I just recommended that. Yep. That's a great one. Um, this one's not a book, but it's a, it's a series. It's been around for a long time. It's called free to choose. It's on YouTube and it's hosted by Milton Friedman and it breaks down, uh, how, uh, free markets work. It's very, it's, 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 trust me on this. It's not boring. Watch it, but it'll reveal a lot to you. If you don't understand politics, you understand how the world works. This will illuminate a lot of that. So it helps a lot. Let me think a third book. Um, the peaceful warrior, Dan Millman. That's a great book. Awesome. And then last question, just kind of your moment to, uh, as I say, shameless plug yourself. Um, where can people find you, uh, mind pump, anything they want to learn about you and such like that. Okay. So the podcast is obviously mind pump. Um, you can find me personally on Instagram at mind pump Sal. And what, one thing that I'll do, um, for your listeners is, uh, if you come to my, if you go to my Instagram and you DM me and tell me that you heard me on this podcast right here, I will give you half off any of our programs. So we sell workout programs for different goals and different types of people. If you DM me and say, Hey, I heard you on this podcast, uh, spot of fitness podcast, right? That's the name of your podcast, right? Uh, spade, it's uh, the Ace of Spade of podcast. Ace of Spade. Sorry. Ace of Spade podcast. No, spot of fitness is your Instagram. That's what it was. It's Spade. Uh, my last name is Spada. I'm going to correct it. So this is on air. Spada. Everybody says, everybody says it differently, but it's Spada. Yeah. Spada. No problem. So, uh, Ace of Spada. Tell me you listen to me on that podcast and which program you want, and I'll give you half off any of them. That's at Mind Pump Sal on Instagram. Um, and then if you want just some free fitness information and guides aside from the podcast, you can go to mindpumpfree.com. Awesome. And definitely go check out Sal's Instagram because it's just filled with a bunch of memes that are pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> we went over this in the last podcast with Adam about how you actually get those now, but I think they're hysterical uh, going through your account. You. Um, so everybody, if you did like this podcast, um, tag me and tag uh, Sal in your stories. Take a screenshot, tag us in your Instagram stories. I'll be sure to show some love back to anybody who does that um, as a way of appreciation for listening. So everybody, thank you.